Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by Daikin. Hey, Texans fans, get a home field advantage this summer with Daikin Air Intelligence Tips you can use to beat the heat in your home. Learn how to lower your energy costs, reclaim your outdoor space, and breathe easier by improving your indoor air quality. It's all part of Daikin's Air Intelligence, and you can learn all about it by visiting daikinloveshouston.com. As one of Houston's largest employers, Daikin is doing big things for your fellow Texans. Check out their outstanding limited warranties and financing options at your local dealer today. Now back to the show. Here's the snap. Looking. Flips the ball. Diving for the pylon. And he's got it. Razzle dazzle. Touchdown, Houston. And the Texans go in front. Game day is every day. We had a lot of energy, and we brought a lot of spark for this organization. The best is yet to come. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Ball is out. The Texans say they have it, and they do. Now, it's Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome into a Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans radio studio on a beautiful Monday evening. Glad you are with me. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. And still, I know, look, I know it's a 24-hour rule, and I think we're beyond 24 hours, so I'm trying to get past what happened on Sunday. And we will. We will. We've got, listen, I was trading texts this morning with my pal Tyler Milner, producer for Ron and um, Ron Hughley and Clint Sterner in the afternoon on Sports Radio 610. And he's like, hey, what were some of the gut punch losses? And I was like, oh, man. So I texted him back. Some was like, since I've been on the sideline 14, here are some. We got through all those. We got through Vinsanity in 20, 2006. We got through Rosencopter. The sun came up this morning. We're going to be fine. The city is going to win a championship with number four quarterback. It's going to happen. It doesn't make yesterday any easier. But, man, that was a gut punch. But we got to move on. Got to get to week 14, but before we do, we got to look back at week 13 in the NFL. We'll also talk to the general, and we'll also talk to Andre Ware on the show this evening. Now, when I go around the league on a Monday, that means I look at each and every game that happened in the NFL, break it down as much as I can, I suppose, from that standpoint. So let's start our journey in the ATL, where the New Orleans Saints... We're on a roll. This defense is playing lights out. And with Taysom Hill as the quarterback, well, he did throw it 37 times. But he also ran it 14. And here's the longest of those run, a 43-yarder down the sidelines. If he stayed in bounds, it would have been a touchdown. But Taysom Hill, he can run the rock. From the 42-yard line on first down, Hill forced to his right, now takes off. Across midfield, has a first down and more. Still going down the sideline and finally forced out of bounds. But not before he picked up 43 big yards. And then a little while later, he would throw his first touchdown. How about that? First touchdown, his third quarterback in his career. Takes him through 15-yarder to Traquan Smith. That gave the Saints a 7-0 lead. But three Youngway Koo field goals. Had the Falcons within five with an Alvin Kamara's 11-yard run. Put them up 21-9. And the Falcons were unable to complete a Hail Mary after Russell Gage touchdown cut at the 21-16. Saints win 
Hill throws for 232 and two touchdowns as Michael Thomas has nine catches for 105 yards. Traquan Smith with a touchdown. Jared Cook with a touchdown reception. And Alvin Kamara with that touchdown reception to go along with a couple of, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, that touchdown run to go along with two receptions and his 88 yards on the ground. For the Falcons, eh, they couldn't run the ball. Matt Ryan threw it okay. Calvin Ridley, 108 yards. Julio Jones had 94, but in the end, the Falcons go down to defeat 21-16. to Falcons now, like the Texans, at 4-8. and Saints move to 10-2 and and really playing very, very well. And by playing very, very well, I'm thinking you might want to keep an eye on the Saints to be a staunch Super Bowl contender. All right, let's go to Chicago where the Texans will go next weekend. And this game was W-I-L-D-Y-Y-O-L-D. Let's move ahead to 222 left in the second quarter. And the Bears are up 16-6, to and it feels like, man, this thing is going to be slipping away from the Lions. And then Matt Stafford dialed up the deep ball to a guy that I really like, Quintez Cephas. Back chasing Stafford. He steps away, and Stafford looking deep for Quintez Cephas. Cephas into the end zone. He's got it. That's a Lions touchdown. First career touchdown for Quintez Cephas. The Lions cut the lead to 16-13 to with that Cephas touchdown. However, David Montgomery would answer with a touchdown run of his own, a four-yarder to give the Bears a 23-13 lead at half. And they would carry that lead forward to 30-20 to late in the fourth quarter. Marvin Jones then caught a touchdown pass to cut it to 30-27. to The Lions then sacked Mitchell Trubisky, knocked the ball away, had it in point-blank range, and Adrian Peterson ran it in from five yards out to give Daryl Bevel his first win as interim coach for the Lions, 34 to 30, the Lions get it done for Daryl Bevel. Matt Stafford, as good as maybe he's ever been. 27 of 42 for 402 yards, three touchdowns. Adrian Peterson had two touchdowns on the ground. Marvin Jones was magnificent. Eight receptions, 116 yards and a touch. TJ Hawkinson, seven catches, 84 yards. Amandola, three catches, 62 yards. Cephas, 2 for 63. Mohamed Sanu, 2 for 36. Jamal Agnew, 2 for 24. Spreading the wealth for the Lions. Mitchell Trubisky was 26 of 34 for 267 and a touchdown, but that fumble was costly. It was huge. Romeo Aquara was able to force that fumble, and then John Pedicini got on it. They would score, and the Lions win 34 to 30, moving each team to 5-7. and seven. And keep in mind, the Bears were at one point the number one seed in the NFC at 5-1 and one and have lost six straight. And that's what the Texans will be walking into next week. All right, let's go to South Florida, baby. We're going to the beach where the Dolphins were 7-4, and four, taking on a Bengals team at 2-8-1. But no Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense has suffered. What really hasn't suffered, though, is Tua Tungavailoa and his connection 
with Mike Gesicki. So far this half, Tua is 8 out of 10 for 117 yards. Looking for more over the middle, and what a catch! Gesicki with one hand! That was sick, as the youngsters say. My goodness, Gesicki, 9 catches for 88 yards. Tua, 26 of 39 for 296 and a touch. As the Dolphins get a pretty blasé 19-7 win. The Bengals scored in the first quarter on a Tyler Boyd 72-yard touchdown. That made it 7-0 Bengals and then 19 straight for the Dolphins. But this one, it was a melee down in South Florida. Mike Thomas for the Bengals creating all kinds of issues on punt returns. And that was a problem because Brian Flores was not happy at all. But he was happy the Dolphins got a win. And how about this? The Dolphins are 8-4 and four on the year. And they draft in 2021 with our pick and their pick. My goodness. Holy smokes. Dolphins 8-4. Bengals 2-9-1. Texas will see the Bengals in a few weeks back at Energy Stadium. And the Dolphins, that 8-4 record, sitting squarely right where they need to be. Watching the Bills tonight to see whether they can take over at least a tie in the AFC East. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. All right, let's go to Minneapolis where the Jaguars and Mike Glennon were taking on Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, and it wasn't going all that well for Kirk Cousins early on because Joe the Show Schobert was hanging around for the Jags. In the second half, and it's not going to start that way. Joe Schobert, pick six for Jacksonville. That would give the Jaguars a 16-6 lead, and I know people in Jacksonville were actually panicking, thinking, wait a second, we've got to have a shot at picks one or two. Well, they didn't need to worry too, too much because Justin Jefferson plays for the Minnesota Vikings. Second and nine, and not just because of that race. Look at for Jefferson, who pops it in at the 15. Working on the rookie, Barku, and they finally take the deep shot. There are going to be plenty of candidates for Offensive Rookie of the Year, but Justin Jefferson is making his bid. Nine catches, 121 yards, and a touch. Got some help from Adam Thielen, who's back off the COVID list. Eight catches for 75 yards and a touch. C.J. Ham had a touch. Kirk Cousins threw three touchdowns for 305 yards. Dalvin Cook ran for 120 But Dan Bailey could not knock it home to end this game in regulation. They would have to go to overtime, and Bailey's 23-yard field goal won this one, 27-24. And people in Jacksonville were then hanging on every single second to the game taking place at the Meadowlands, where the Jets had a lead, had a big lead. Well, they had a lead late, and for them, that's a big lead. But then Greg Williams called cover zero, and that's not a good thing. Jets coming. Carr put some air under it. Wide open is Ruggs for the touchdown. Miraculous. No, he Now, I don't know exactly who James Lofton is talking about. No, he didn't. Was he talking about Ruggs getting deep? Was he talking about Derek Carr taking a deep shot? Or was he talking about Greg Williams, the now former 
Jets defensive coordinator calling a full-on seven-man blitz with blitz, with zero coverage in the back. And Lamar Jackson, not the quarterback for the Ravens, the cornerback, the rookie from Nebraska, bit on an out and up. There's so many things wrong with the way the Jets lost that game. It's a shame. But Henry Ruggs' 46-yard touchdown pass gave the Raiders a 31-28 to win after losing a couple weeks in a row. One in, well, actually both, in gut-wrenching fashion. And it looked like they were about to lose a third. Sam Darnold threw for two touchdowns. Ty Johnson ran for 104 yards. But the Raiders able to ride Derek Carr and Darren Waller. Derek Carr threw for 381. Over half of that went to Waller. 13 catches, 200 yards, and two touchdowns. Waller was special. But Ruggs made the big play. Three catches for 84 yards, including that 46-yarder to win the game on the out and up. And that's the kind of thing when you see things going sideways. That was about to be a third straight loss on the road again against the Jets. But yet the Jets lost, and yet they won. (laughs) There was a video I saw afterwards that showed Jets fans running around the house screaming and yelling, when Ruggs scored because it, at least for the time being, is, well, keeping them in the number one draft position for Trevor Lawrence. Oh, my goodness. Greg Williams saved them on this day, and now he is no longer. Frank Bush, former Texans defensive coordinator, takes over for the New York Jets. All right, let's go to Nashville, where two eight and three teams were ready to do battle, ready to go. Well, this one was all Cleveland Browns. Starting out of the 25-yard line, they go with a bigger formation with three tight ends. Fake it. Mayfield sets the feet. He throws the deep ball. We've got separation. Downfield by himself. People, Jones, goodbye. Touchdown, Browns. Baker Mayfield was just getting started. He threw four touchdowns in the first half. And then he got some help from his vaunted running game. Here's some Nick Chubb. On the handoff, Chubb finds daylight. Chubb, sideline, turns it up a notch and out of bounds. Chubb ran for 80 yards on 18 carries, had one rushing touchdown. Baker Mayfield really the star in this. He got time to throw. 25 of 33 for 334 yards, four touchdowns. Had a six-yard reception on a third-down throw from Jarvis Landry. He had four carries for five yards. Baker Mayfield did it all. But the Browns' defense needs some credit here. They did give up 389 yards passing and three touchdowns to Tannehill. They gave up 182 yards to Corey Davis. But the two players you worry most about, A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry, they sort of held in check. Well, A.J. Brown they did. Four for 87. That's still a pretty good day. But Derrick Henry only had 15 carries for 60 yards in large part because the Titans were down 38-7 to at half. This is a team that blew out the Colts in Indy, and now they're down 38-7. to It was a lot like what happened to the Texans last year. Texans beat the Patriots on a Sunday night. They're feeling sky high. The Broncos come in the next week, and it's 38-3 to before you can blink an eye. It was kind of the same exact thing. Browns win 41-35. What a day for Baker Mayfield. What a day for the Browns. 41-35. to 35. Remember, 
The 2019 season was loaded with hype for the Browns, and right out of the chute, the Titans hammered them. The Browns delivered a dish of revenge. Browns 9-3, Titans 8-4. After the Colts win, beating us, they're both tied at 8-4 in AFC South, and I think the Colts have the tiebreaker, so the Colts go back to the top spot. But the Browns, 9-3. I don't think they can catch the Steelers. I don't think. But the way this year has gone, man, you never know. But you give Baker Mayfield a clean pocket. He plays with fundamentals. He's as good a quarterback as you're going to find. He just has to do all those things, and that's not always a guarantee. Speaking of Oklahoma quarterbacks, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals were taking on the Los Angeles Rams, one of two games in a 48, uh, about a 36-hour span in Arizona Cardinals Stadium. The Niners and the Bills will play tonight, but the Rams are taking on the Cardinals in a key NFC West battle. And it started off really, really well for the Cardinals because the Rams jumped all over DeAndre Hopkins, and that left Dan Arnold open, wide open, for a huge play to get the Cardinals rolling. That's Isabella again. Running around. Time for Murray down the middle of the field and wide open. Headed for the end zone is Dan Arnold, and that's a Cardinal touchdown. Arnold went 59 yards, and there wasn't anybody in the zip code to give the Cardinals a 7 to nothing lead. But what the Rams have found with some young running backs is, well, a little bit of a running game. It's not perfect, but they have found a little something in particular. Daryl Henderson showing it right here on a 38-yard touchdown run that put the Rams ahead 31-21 to late in this one. Play to your QB's strengths. Maximize what he does best, and it's him on the move. Pick up a seven. Daryl Henderson, he's off and running. He's in the end zone. Touchdown, Rams. That touchdown gave the Rams a 31-21 lead, and it put the Cardinals in panic mode. Down by 10 as the clock wore down. Kyler Murray then never saw Troy Hill, who ran back the interception 35 yards, his second in consecutive weeks. Intercepted. Troy Hill has a touchdown in back-to-back weeks. Touchdown Rams. The Cardinals would score to make this one 38-28, but that was it. The Rams get this win. Jared Goff threw for 351 and a touchdown. But Cam Akers, a rushing touchdown. Daryl Henderson, you heard that rushing touchdown. Jared Goff carried it four times for a yard, but he also had a touchdown. Three rushing touchdowns for the Rams. How about that? Dan Arnold, he had that 59-yard touchdown reception. He had two receptions on the day. Both of them went for touchdowns, a 59-yarder and a two-yarder. But... The Cardinals lose. Cardinals fall to 6-6. Six and six. And man, without that Hail Mary, the Cardinals would be sitting there at 5-7. and seven. All that hype about the Cardinals, and yet they're a Hail Mary away from being 5-7. and seven. <laughs> Interesting. The Rams at 8-4 and four move to the top of the NFC West. Why? Well, the Giants and Wayne Gallman. Wayne Gallman, big hole. There he goes. Jamal Adams trying to catch up to him. And finally, Brooks rips him down inside the 20. Biggest play of the day for the Giants offense. The New York football Giants 
Went up to Seattle with Colt McCoy, started a game. Colt didn't do a lot, but he did throw a touchdown pass. But it was Wayne Gallman, 16 carries, 134 yards. That 60-yarder you just heard. Alfred Morris is still in the league. He had a rushing touchdown. And Joe Judge's Giants get it done again. The Giants move to 5-7. and seven. They are a full-on juggernaut right now in the NFC East. And the Seahawks fall at home to 8-4. and four. And one of the weakest offensive outputs from the Seahawks all year, just 12 points. As they fought at 8-4, Rams 8-4, Seahawks 8-4. Ooh, doggy, we got you a little race in NFC West now. We just know that probably the Cardinals, well, we'll see what the Niners do. The Niners got to play uh, in Arizona against the Bills, so we'll see how that goes. But crazy day up in Seattle as the Seahawks lose by five at home to the Giants. Now, let's go to another NFC East team trying to get up and running at 3-7-1, it was the Philadelphia Eagles, but it didn't go very well because of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Rodgers from eight yards deep in the end zone, right down the middle of the field, and Adams! Man, Devontae Adams is just stupid good. Ten catches, 121 yards, Aaron Rodgers threw for 295 and three touchdowns. But the Eagles stayed in it, courtesy of their rookie from TCU, Jalen Rager. Rager is going to field this at the 26. Off a of one hop. Picks it up. Uh-oh, watch out. Down the 40. Trying to wiggle past the putter. Stiff arms him. He's in. What a run back. This game ain't over. But it would be a little while later because Aaron Jones is good at football. Second and seven. Big running lane, and Jones takes off into the secondary. And now, sprinting down the sideline. Wiggles past McLeod. And he's all the way to the end zone. Not to be denied. That man is ridiculously good. 15 carries, 130 yards, a 77-yarder to seal it. Packers win 30-16. to The Packers are right where they need to be. 9-3, but the Eagles fall to 3-8-1. That is not where they need to be. Now, whenever there's a shutout, I don't spend time. Especially when the Chargers special teams plays like me and 10 other guys were out on the field. They gave up a punt return touchdown, a blocked field goal return for a touchdown on the last play of the half, and then another long return to Gunnar Oshesky. It was terrible. Patriots beat the Chargers 45 to nothing. And there's nothing more I can say about it. Nothing. Absolutely nothing that I want to say about it. And in a nightcap, the Kansas City Chiefs wasn't sexy, but they held on 22 to 16. And Patrick Mahomes and the boys get it done. Mahomes threw for 318 and a touchdown. Travis Kelsey was the big star in the night. Eight catches, 136 yards, and a touchdown. And Tyreek Hill made all of his fantasy owners mad because he didn't realize he caught a touchdown. But it didn't matter. Chiefs move to 11-1. Broncos fall to 4-8. and eight. All right, that's going to do it for our Week 13 recap. Let's talk to Andre Ware next right here on Texans All Access. If you love podcasts and you love the Texans, you'll love our Texans podcasts. Now available on iTunes and HoustonTexans.com.
Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you by Miller Lite. During this time of social distancing, cheering on the Texans over a beer might look a little different today. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together through Miller time. Whether you're toasting to friends near or far, great taste is always close by. Miller Lite, championship partner of the Houston Texans. Great taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller time this season. You can have the original light beer delivered by going to MillerLite.com slash buy beer online and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Now, here's the show. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris. We're going to take you right up to the 7 o'clock Monday night football game that will take place in Phoenix, actually, Glendale, Arizona, where the San Francisco 49ers, the home team, taking on the Buffalo Bills as the Bills return to the scene of the crime. Now, if I remember correctly... Somebody beat the Giants and the Jets earlier this year in back-to-back games. I'm trying to remember exactly who that was. But that was earlier this year. So they played consecutive weeks in the Meadowlands and beat both teams. This is a little different, but the Bills are going back to play in the same building. That's going to be kind of interesting. But good luck to them, my pal Sal. Uh, The the, the rhymes. How about that? Uh, My buddy Sal Capaccio, Sal reporter for the Bills. And of all the teams, I I really like the way the Bills – uh, have been constructed. Uh, they built it with depth, with smarts, with intelligence, IQ, with twitch, with, I mean, everything you really want a team. And then they plop Josh Allen, a really athletic quarterback, in the middle of it. And before too long, uh, the Bills have become a big factor in the AFC. And that's going to be a tough out. Texans caught him at the right time last year. Josh Allen, not all the way there, but he definitely is moving in that direction. No question about that. All right, let's talk to our own quarterback, Andre Ware. We had a lot of things to talk to him about. Of course, talking about this game, his thoughts, his feelings from Sunday against the Colts. Andre, a day later, how you feeling? What are you thinking about what you saw yesterday? Let's take it from the last moment and move backwards from there. I don't know if there's much difference in how I felt yesterday and, and how I felt this morning. I mean, it's just a devastating way to lose, lose a game. Uh was thinking about it and trying to decide would I rather be blown out or would I rather lose that way and uh that way I think I'd rather be uh, I don't know I don't know because that 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 one sticks with you I think I'd rather be blown out because at that point the chance wasn't there it was never there it was an off day whatever it is that you sum it up as but when you get that close that one stays a while that has a little bit of staying power yeah, getting back from that, it's funny, Joe, you say that, because Mark and I were talking about those two losses in 2015, and those things have kind of been stuck in my head, Atlanta and Miami. It was like, you know, we got on the plane, it wasn't good, I worried about what we were going to say on Texas Monday, but I'm like, you can put that in the rear view, like, look, Atlanta and Miami are not 42, 41 points, they're not better than us from that standpoint, right. we just got to get our act together a little bit. Yesterday's was, here's a W going up in the column and then you just rip it right away. And I yeah. think you're right. It's just four games left in the season. But those are the kind of ones that can linger. And 
I'm sure at some point, Dre, you had a loss in your career that your team allowed to bleed over to two losses. And the one that I famously use when I talk about something like this is Appalachian State beating Michigan in 2007. That was a top-five team in the country. App State Mm. upsets them. The next week, they're still wallowing in the App State mire, and Oregon goes up there with Dennis Dixon and spanks them. And I used to say App State beat Michigan twice, and hopefully the Colts won't beat the Texans twice when they face the Bears next week. We have we had a graphic in our game. It's funny you, you mentioned that I had App State uh, this past Friday night mm-hmm. with uh, with Louisiana. We had a graphic telling the Michigan program before App State and after, and it's been drastically, and I mean drastically different. There are no conference titles. There, I mean, it, it's it's bad. And so, not only did they beat them twice, they've beaten them for years. Yep. Because they have they haven't seemed to recover. It's just it's just amazing that that game uh, comes up and it's still prevalent in in today's uh, in today's college football world, so to speak. But you're right, there are games if you allow them to to kind of have a hangover and you're still thinking about that when you have you know you you still kind of had some things on the on the table if you run it and all everything works out. Who knows what happens? But that kind of loss just kind of puts everything. Uh, into perspective, so to speak, about how the season has gone. I, I've settled it here. Blowouts don't feel as painful as what yesterday felt like, but I'd rather lose like yesterday because at least your team, it shows your team is competitive and right there they just made a big mistake and uh, they can yeah. correct that easier than whatever ails you in a blowout or maybe multiple blots. Dre, what about Watson yesterday? Tell me what you saw, especially with the situation being what it is. You're not running the ball. You're still not running the ball the way you wanted to when the year began. They've kind of changed their mindset, it appears. And then you're out there with Chad Hansen and Kiki QT making a lot of plays, and it's not like the tight ends were heavily involved in the passing game as pass catchers. Yeah, I can't tell you how proud I am of, of, of Kiki QT and his game and, and just kind of – rooting from him uh, from my perspective or from my standpoint, uh, you know, you just, it was, here's a guy that was buried. I mean, confidence just being stepped on every day and he still came to work, still worked and waited on an opportunity. And finally with, with things shaken up with the coaching staff, uh, he got his opportunity. And so it's, it's good to see how he's playing and, and how well he's doing. Chad Hansen steps in. You had to, have somebody come in and step in and and, uh, and contribute offensively. Who knew that we would get what we were going to get from him yesterday? So uh, all that to say that I thought Deshaun did one heck of a job, shorthanded, if uh, if if that's the right term to use, uh, and had his team in a position to win the game at the, at the very end. Okay, can I interest you guys in a stat? You know, everybody sure. always does this with Ty Hilton, um, and it's always frustrating, and I always hate it when people do it. But I'm going to do it for Kiki QT against the Colts. If Kiki played a full, based on the four games he's played against them, if he played a full year of 16 games, because we did that with T.Y. Hilton last week, if he played a full year 16 games against the Colts, on pace guy would tell you that he would register 132 receptions for 1,540 yards, eight receiving touchdowns, and four rushing touchdowns. Mm. That's what Kiki would do when given the opportunity. And another guy that got an opportunity yesterday, Dre, was Chad Hansen. And Mark and I talked about it as they're gonna they're about to score. We talk about, talk about games with names, Rosencopter and I kick and all this. This is gonna be the Chad and Kiki game. 
What did you see from Chad Hansen? The first time we've seen him active for the Texans, I think, in his career. What did you think of what he did yesterday? Yeah, I saw a guy that understands route running and defenses. I saw a guy that was tough. Uh, he made some really, really tough catches at some critical times. And, you know, just provided uh, a place for of concern for Indianapolis. At, at some point, you can't just leave him uncovered or just forget about him and all of a sudden he's making plays going over 100 yards receiving and, and tough plays so that's what you see sure-handed receiver um a, a guy that that just kind of had uh his day made the most of an opportunity and, and is looking for the next one and i think they kind of they've got something there Trey, what about the defense pitching a shutout in the second half what are you seeing on that side of the football and are you with me that, that these coordinators, both Tim Kelly and Anthony Weaver, they're starting to kind of blossom in their jobs. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight, and it's starting to sort of take hold and look a whole lot better than it did earlier on in the season. Yeah, you know, it's the old adage that if you give someone enough reps and shots at it, eventually they start to get get pretty good. And, and I think they're just kind of really stepping into – uh, their place as coordinators. It, it you, you know, you, I kind of expected this obviously with being first time play callers being, you know, going through the off season of not having guys around and learning personnel and things of that sort, who can do what based on what I want to do with my offense or the defense, so to speak. Now that's just, I think the last couple of weeks are starting to see um, exactly what uh, what both are capable of, especially on the defensive side. As you mentioned, pitching a shutout in the second half. Guys are starting to play freer. Uh, Justin Reed, I think, is just starting to benefit from playing down in the box a little bit more and timing blitzes. That that takes a lot of a lot of work and how to time a blitz. And it's just it's like running an offensive play. Uh, in order to get there, how the tackles or how the offensive line splits and where am I going to get through, uh, those things take a lot of work, and he's he's starting to get a good, a pretty good feel for it. Okay, the two teams atop the AFC South are eight and four. Fortunately, we're not one of them. It's Tennessee sure. and Indianapolis. This is a question for both of you, Dre. You go first uh, because you have a Heisman, and unfortunately, Mark does not. So you go first when you answer this. We played Tennessee up there. We lost by six. We played Indianapolis down here. We lost by six. Which one, A, is better, and maybe by answering this one, you can answer the next one, which one do you think is more dangerous, Dre? Man, that's a good question. I think it's Tennessee uh, because of their dominant running game and Derrick Henry and, and uh, A.J. Brown on the outside it can hit home runs. Uh, Corey Davis, it's, it's, it, it's close, though. When, when both teams are fully healthy, that's a game you want to see. And so, uh, but I, I would give Tennessee the nudge in that one. The playoff experience, our end of the year experience as well. Uh, quarterback that's been in their system now uh, a couple of seasons. I, I would lean towards Tennessee. Gosh, you know, when we get there to the postseason and assuming that there's no magical meltdown for the rest of the league and the Texans win out, uh, I it's weird. Do you root for an AFC South team to – go far in the playoffs do you root for your division you know these are questions that come up and i say absolutely not because okay. i can't stand those two teams okay but here's what? the thing mark you might get just hear me out here yeah. if you get to a certain point in the playoffs though you might get lulled into this false sense of security of like ah we're good we're just going to keep this thing and run it back and look 
Look at the team oh, we yeah, had yeah, yesterday yeah. on the field. That's not going to be the team that we have the field in 2020 for sure. So I almost right. want them to have success because we almost beat those two teams with guys named Chad Hansen and Kiki QT at receiver. I mean, right. if we can get a full roster around Deshaun, JJ, whomever, and put that roster together, maybe they get lulled into a false sense of reality, whereas we are, we yeah. know what we have to fix, and then we start trouncing them in 2021. I don't know. Throwing it out there. Yeah, lull them. Yeah. Yes. Complacency. I like yeah. it. I like it. Okay. Uh, right. Dre, tell me about the snap, okay? If a snap – I know you didn't take snaps out of the shotgun, and I, I like to bring this up from time to time because you threw for a bazillion yards in college, set all sorts of records – and never took the snap out of the shotgun set. Tell us why, and then tell us some of the difficulty, uh, easier said than done sometimes, executing a snap from the shotgun from center to quarterback, especially if it's a little off and you're in a touchy situation like yesterday. Yeah, I've always liked being under center. Uh, You see the defense as you drop it back. Um, You don't have to take your eyes away from the defense as they're moving and trying to disguise to – make sure that a snap, you know, you're catching the snap cleanly. So it should be an operation where you're, the ball's coming up, you know, at in the same spot every time. It just doesn't happen that way. So when you get in short yardage situations and you put a, a, a defensive lineman over a center's face and you're trying to – trying to that guy's trying – the center's trying to move the defensive lineman. You may get a short snap. You may get a low snap like what happened yesterday or you're trying to reach – to get to a guy, want right or left, and you may leave the ball low or bring it with you, and it's and it's going to go sideways. So, I, in, in situations like that, down down on in the goal on the goal line, uh, short yardage when you're trying to get a yard or two, I like to go under center to make sure that it's happening, that you're going to get the snap and you're not going to get shorted. And I I'm I told you yesterday walking out of the stadium, I'm surprised and blown away that it doesn't happen more. I really enjoyed that discussion with Dre this morning. It was hard. I mean, it was tough to talk about that game. That was a fun discussion to have this morning. And there's a pretty good story. You go to our all-access page, um, you can probably hear the story I told um, this morning talking to Dre about that situation. And Mark, actually, uh, as I was going up the stands, there was a fan that was none too happy, which I don't get a chance to hear, but I kind of ripped my headphones off and I had to make my way back up the concourse, so I had to go all the way back up the, the 100 level. Oh, boy. There's some fans none too pleased. So hopefully we can get this thing going and finish strong with some wins and really start propelling us forward to 2021. All right, how about the general next? I'm down for that. Let's do it right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access continues in a moment. In a moment. In a moment. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by Dykin. Hey, Texans fans, get a home field advantage this summer with Daikin Air Intelligence tips you can use to beat the heat in your home. Learn how to lower your energy costs, reclaim your outdoor space, and breathe easier by improving your indoor air quality. It's all part of Daikin's Air Intelligence, and you can learn all about it by visiting DaikinLovesHouston.com. As one of Houston's largest employers, Daikin is doing big things for your fellow Texans. Check out their outstanding limited warranties and financing options at your local dealer today. Now back to the show. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points Saturday nights at 1030 or after the late local news on ABC 13. 
All right, let's get our final segment. This Monday edition of Texans All Access kicked off with the general who joined Mark and I to talk about yesterday's unfortunate events. When I was sitting there after the uh, play, I was thinking about the same thing, crushing defeats. I immediately thought of the Rosencopter, also against the Colts. Fantastic comeback at the end of the game. But that was early in the season. Texans rebounded to go 8-8 eight and eight after an 0-4 start. But still, that's the first thing I thought about. You know, that didn't – one that hurt a lot because they could have clinched home field advantage was losing at home to Minnesota in 2012 and then having to go on the road to New England in the divisional round. But, you know, the playoffs weren't at stake here, just pride and respect and pride, trying to do some damage to an AFC South rival and to be on the doorstep. I felt bad for Nick Martin because, you know, how many times have we said – Nick Martin's had a low snap or a bad snap, but Deshaun Watson knew he should have caught it. I think he probably was looking up to see who was coming at him, and it was he was giving the ball to David Johnson. Had they not made it, they could have run a lot of the clock. I think the Colts should have let him score there, get the ball back for a chance to have a field goal to win. But you know, it's it's, it's some of those are tougher than others, and I think the nature of that one. We'll stick with them all through the offseason. John, let me stop you right there for a second. Uh, The 2012 loss to Minnesota was terrible, but the next week they could have beaten Indy up there with rookie quarterback Andrew Luck and still had home field advantage throughout and lost that one. And that one definitely makes my top five most painful losses because of what was on the line up there in 2012 and I just wanted to clear that up because maybe later on in this show or later on this week I'll go over the worst I mean because I mean I hate to say the worst it's just that was a painful one and you know you sort of have to grieve it properly well the reason Mark that Minnesota was tough you were at home you know they Mm haven't won a lot of games in Indy and we knew Luck was a great quarterback uh, because he was first overall but to have it at home a sellout crowd against the Vikings to do it at home, to me, that was worse than losing on the road where you usually don't expect them to win at, at Indy. It was f- Christian freaking Ponder. It was Christian <laughs> Ponder. That yeah. one stings because of that. I'll just say that. Losing the Vikings, you know, but it's Christian Ponder. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, that's beside the point. John, if I would have told you this is a game that I don't, I don't like to play with uh, Mark, and I'll I would have thought you would have won. I heard you asking. You're going to ask me what you asked Mark, which was yeah, I'm, oh, I've no, been listening to you guys for 15 minutes. So yes, I know. <laughs> if you'd have told no. me all those stats, I would have said, of course they should have won that game. John, that's the easy one. That's the easy one. Well, give me a hard. It's much harder. Here's a much harder one. What if I had told you? That at the end of Sunday's game, the Texans would have not one, but two 100-yard receivers, and neither one of them would be Brandon Cooks. What would you have thought? I would have thought you're nuts going into that game. And at one point, they were playing Stevie Mitchell, Chad Anson, and Kiki QT. That threesome went in with six catches all by QT. Chad Anson hadn't caught a ball since his rookie year in 2017. And that shows what we talked about last week about great quarterbacks can take average receivers and make them look good, good receivers, and make them look great. We see it all the time. And it's an example of what Watson can do, and that bodes well for the future. And I'm talking about beginning at Soldier Field on Sunday. 
people got to feel a whole lot better about the Texans receivers than they did going into this last game after Will Fuller's suspension and Randall Cobb being out. You know, that ain't gotten a lot of attention, but he's our slot receiver. Now Kiki QT is tearing it up. John, I think that these coordinators are really coming into their own. I mean, Anthony Weaver yesterday puts together a nice game plan. I mean, they gave up some yards, but they pitched a shutout defensively in the second half. I know they needed that fourth down stop at the five in order to preserve that, and the safety is the safety. But 24 points on the board at the break, they hold them scoreless in the second half and give the offense a chance, and this defense is trending upward. There's no other way to slice it on a day in which you play without Bradley Roby. Except on the first series of the game in which the opponent has scored in six consecutive games, five touchdowns. First mm-hmm. first half for the Colts, touchdown, punt, touchdown, touchdown, field goal. Second half, punt, 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 fourth down, punt. So they were a different defense in the second half. We always ask the players if it was something strategic, and they always say no. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what are you guys doing in that brief time you're in there? Because you got to start making adjustments in the first quarter. You can't wait till halftime but obviously they were doing something different to play as well as they did Terrell Adams and Zach Cunningham making that stuff on fourth down they asked Frank Reich why wasn't Jonathan Taylor getting the ball there that's the first thing I wondered too and I, as far as the safety I think that worked to their advantage if Brian Anger who's been injured now for the last three weeks if he's punting out of his end zone they're going to get the ball back around midfield with a chance to put the game away. As it was, you saw what happened. They go straight down the field and have a chance to win with a touchdown, as well as the defense was playing. I'm not going to say Phillip Rivers couldn't have put them in field goal range. He's been in that situation a million times in his career. But the defense was playing great in the second half. The only thing it didn't do was force a turnover. Such a weird, wild, awesome, all-over-the-place, crazy Kind of day with a gut punch of an ending. My goodness. All right, 24-hour rule is done. We're moving forward, and we'll do that right as we send it to Bills v. Niners in Arizona. Thanks for listening, everybody, and as always, go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you by Miller Lite. During this time of social distancing, cheering on the Texans over a beer might look a little different today. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together through Miller time. Whether you're toasting to friends near or far, great taste is always close by. Miller Lite, championship partner of the Houston Texans. Great taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller time this season you can have the original light beer delivered by going to MillerLite.com slash online and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Now, here's the show. <laughs> 